0: Well, good morning. Thank you very much for your your invitation to to be here today. Um, If you have your Bibles, can you turn with me please to Mark chapter 15? Mark chapter 15. I suppose if I was going to ask you a question this morning, if I was going to ask you why you're here, I wonder what your response would be to that. I wonder why you've chose to get out of bed, to get up, to get dressed, to get ready to come to this place, to sit amongst these people. What's, what's the purpose? Why are, you, why are you here? You know, My hope as I was driving in uh, this morning to Moody's Burn was that each and every one of us would come with a desire to just know Christ a little bit better. Just to see his face a little bit clearer just to know him a little bit, a little bit more. And when I came into the prayer meeting uh, this morning, I was just thrilled to sit down and that was the very first sentence uh, that I heard. That's what we would be here today to do, that each and every one of us, even if we've known Christ for 50 years, today we know him a little bit better. Today we'd experience his love a little bit more fully. Mark chapter 15 and verse 1, there we read very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And wanting to satisfy the crowd... Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. And we trust God are the blessing to the reading of his word. You wouldn't have known it yesterday, but we're, we're entering into to the spring season. Easter is, come, is racing up uh, towards us and so I thought it would be, would be good to enter into this sort of part of the scriptures this morning and get us set up um, for all of these great gospel messages that are always preached around, around Easter time as we sort of have the whole community around about us um, thinking about Jesus uh, in this sort of passion uh, week at the end of his, his life so we 'll jump jump into these these verses uh, this morning, but before we do that, I wonder if you 'd oblige me to make you feel slightly uncomfortable you 're terrified now, good um, If you feel comfortable, maybe just as you 're in this next part, you might want to close your eyes i 'm going to ask you to to uh, use your imagination a little bit, so you can choose to close your eyes or you can choose to keep them open. but I want you to try and imagine a person imagine someone. Now this someone, it's quite a nice ringtone, Uh, this someone is quite old. Now in a a room like this, it's quite diverse, Um, maybe we won't all agree on what quite old means, but they're 92. I think we're all going to agree that that is fairly old. So they're 92 years old and they're driving a Land Rover you got the picture? 92 year old driving a Land Rover. You zoom into their face and you notice that they're wearing glasses. Then you notice that they're wearing a headscarf. You notice that this person is female, maybe not what you initially imagined. This female is driving her Land Rover, she pulls over and she's in the Scottish wilderness. She jumps out of her Land Rover. She's wearing a thick brown raincoat. She gets around to the back of her Land Rover and she opens up her back door. She opens up the boot and four corgis jump out and follow her. I wonder if anyone has any idea of the person that I describe. Would anyone like to hazard a guess as to what this person's name might be? Elizabeth. Exactly. This is Liz. It's the Queen. Isn't that incredible that in six or seven little details we can narrow down someone's identity from seven billion to one? Isn't that just incredible and amazing? But of course, it's because it's the Queen. And we all know what the Queen looks like. She's recognisable across the globe here in Scotland here in the UK she's our queen but even if we were in America or we were in Canada or we were in another part of the world and we sit and we talked about the queen we would still picture the same person even though she's not their queen but let me ask you a question this morning why is the queen your queen i'm not trying to cause a, an insurrection or anything against the royal family but When did you make the decision that she was going to be your queen? When did you have that realization that she was your queen? What what did she do to convince you to give her that title of queen? In truth, we've never made a decision like that. None of us. I'm sure if there's someone who's, who's good with history, you can explain it to me at the end over coffee about why the royal family is the royal family. But we've never given them that title. We've never made that decision as individuals. She's sovereign over our nation, so we've got no choice but to follow her. And we don't think about this too much because actually it doesn't have much of an effect on our life. Despite the queen having tremendous powers, she could seize your house if she wanted to. That big lovely back garden that you've got, if she wanted it, she could have it. Your pet swan, she could come and take that anytime she wanted as well. But she doesn't exercise these powers in the way kings or queens may be used to in years gone by. Or in ways that they still do in other parts of the world. You know, Zimbabwe is a country that I visited a few years ago during a period of civil unrest. And I went over with an NGO at the time, and the idea of going over was to meet some children who were being used in the mining of gold. And so we went to these gold mines in Zimbabwe and sat around in circles with children and got to know them, started to speak to them. And one of the things that struck me initially was that the children were talking about their Lord. And I initially thought that they were talking about Jesus when they were talking about their Lord. But then I quickly noticed that this this couldn't be the case because the things that their Lord was doing was not something that Jesus would do. You know, the Lord was the person who owned the land that their family lived on. And these lords would come into the family home and, and claim whatever workers they liked to mine the gold that was on their land. And despite the barbaric way that these children were treated, still they called this man their Lord. Now, I'm telling these stories this morning just to highlight how we view kings and queens and lords in the world today. And how we've always viewed them. We don't claim them, they claim us. We don't pick them, we're born into their kingdom. Except in one case. There's one king that's different. There's one Lord that's different. And that's what we see in these few verses in Mark chapter 15. We read that very early in the morning as Jesus has been up all night having lies thrown at him, accusations thrown at him as he's been treated horribly and terribly very early in the morning after all of that the chief priests with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin they made their plans or what they thought was their plans and they bound Jesus and they led him away and they handed him over to Pilate and Pilate asks this key question in this passage he says are you the king of the Jews and Jesus replies you have said so Here's Jesus standing before Pilate. He has the opportunity to make his case. Everything that I read about Pilate shows that, that Pilate was sympathetic to Jesus. Pilate was wanting to help Jesus. Pilate seemed, he was standing there amazed. He seems like a man who could be convinced. And he stand there amazed looking at Jesus. Surely he could be persuaded to let Jesus go with just a few words. If Jesus would just make a case. Perhaps Pilate would let him go. And Pilate asks the question, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers, you have said so. You know, growing up, I really wrestled with those four words. I really wrestled with Jesus' response. Because as a teenager, as a child, if I hear the words, you've said so, or if you say so. Those kind of words and remarks were normally followed by a clout around the ear. Or being sent to the head teacher's office. That wasn't the kind of response as a child um, you were supposed to give. It's kind of a a language that in my head makes me think of a, a, a petulant teenager. If you say so. I couldn't understand growing up how Jesus would speak in such a way which to my ears, in my culture and my time, seemed to be disrespectful. Of course the problem isn't with... What Jesus said. The problem is with my interpretation of what Jesus has said. The chief priest accused him of so many things, the, the, the chapter goes on to say, chief priest accused him of so many things, so again Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. You know, Jesus isn't refusing to answer these questions out of disrespect, it's quite the opposite. He's choosing not to answer out of respect. You see, Jesus would not claim the title King of the Jews. He wouldn't claim the title King of Kings. He wouldn't claim the title Lord of Lords, although he could. But he wouldn't. You see, he presented a choice to Pilate. I can be the King of the Jews. I can be your king. But it's up to you to decide. It's not up to me to decide if I'm going to be king of your life. It's up to you to decide if I'm going to be king. I'm not going to claim it. I'm not going to come in and grab it. I'm going to present you with a choice. And you can choose what you're going to do with me. This is what Jesus offered. He offered the choice. Jesus will not claim kingship over anyone. He gave Pilate a choice, he gives us a choice too. We can choose to follow him, or we can choose to follow the crowd. Verse 6 says it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. You know, the precision of the conspiracy that we're reading about here, this attack on Christ, the precision of it is astounding. As we think about the plans that the chief priests, that the the Pharisees, that the Sanhedrin are planning, they've chosen just the right time to do this. They have waited and waited and waited and they've chosen just the right time. They've chosen just the right place to do this. They stirred up the crowd in just the right way to come forward and to plead for the right custom. These chief priests must be geniuses. Either that or something greater is going on. And of course, something greater is going on. This passage starts with them talking about their plans. They may have thought that they were their plans. But they weren't their plans. None of this is happening by chance. None of this is a surprise to Jesus. None of this is taking him by shock. He knew that this is what was going to happen. He's already told his disciples in great detail this is what is going to happen. It's not a surprise to Jesus. It's not a surprise to his father. This is the plan. It has always been the plan. From Genesis all the way through, we read about this plan and how it's building up to this point. We're not seeing the wisdom of the chief priest here. We're seeing the wisdom of God. This has always been the plan. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 reads, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. This gift that we are about to be able to receive because of what Christ has done for us. This was established before the beginning of time. In first Corinthians chapter 2 verse 7 we read no we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began any time that we read about this great mystery in the New Testament, it is the mystery of the gospel. It is the mystery of what Jesus is doing in Mark chapter 15 and Mark chapter 16 and all the other gospel uh, reports of the crucifixion and the resurrection. The great mystery, the great question about why on earth would Jesus do this? Why on earth would Jesus put himself through this? Why on earth Would Jesus go to the cross? This great mystery. What Edward Clowney, the the, the great theologian, called the unfolding mystery. Why would he go to the cross? Well, to give a simplistic answer, because I'm afraid that's the only type I'm capable of. He went to the cross so we wouldn't have to. That is why Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross so that we wouldn't have to. Pilate says in verse 9, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed over Jesus to him, the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. You know, there's a few key people in this passage. We've got Pilate, we have Jesus, but there was another man as well. And that man woke up that morning, if he'd been able to sleep at all, he had lived a terrible life doing horrific things he had his own goals, he had his own things that he wanted and he was willing to kill to make that happen he was willing to kill anyone that got in his way and he woke up that morning believing that he was going to get the due punishment for all of his wrongdoing and he's brought out of that cell and he's taken in front of a crowd of angry people and surely he thinks that this is his final humiliation Surely he thinks that this crowd of angry people are for him. One final humiliation before going to the cross. And then he recognises something that he can't quite comprehend. The anger, the disgust, the tension in the air. It wasn't being directed at him. The murderer. There was someone else there that all of this was being directed at. And he doesn't even recognise him. Then he hears something that he struggles to determine exactly what's being said because of the roar of the crowd and perhaps more likely because of the ludicrous nature of what's being proposed. They're talking about his release. They're talking about him getting freedom. How could he comprehend that? After everything that he's done, after everything that he expected to happen that day, suddenly they're talking about his freedom. Freedom. He doesn't deserve freedom. Why are they talking about this? How is this possibly happening? He looks at a man that he doesn't recognise and he wonders what that man could possibly have done to trump the life that he had lived. Then he hears his own name being chanted by the crowds. And before he can properly determine what has happened, his shackles are taken off He's sent on his way and he's given his freedom. And as he goes into the crowd, he sees Jesus behind him being taken away to the cross. That's the experience of Barabbas that morning. That's what Barabbas saw. That's what he felt. And there's no way that he understood what was happening. He woke up with a cross that had been made just for him. A cross that had been prepared just for him, and Jesus took his cross, and Jesus took his place. Now, here's where I'm going to offend you. And that's okay, because the gospel message is the good news, but it's the only good news once you've been offended by it. It's only the good news once you've recognised the bad news. This is where the rubber hits, our, hits the road. This is the mystery of the gospel our experience is pretty much identical to that of Barabbas (coughs) who are we in this passage? we are Barabbas we have lived a life that is deserving of death you may say no, that's not me compared to Barabbas I am a saint compared to Barabbas how dare you compare me to that man But you know, unfortunately, to be in a a union with God, to be in a relationship with God, the standard isn't Barabbas, but the standard is Jesus. If you want to have a relationship with God, it's not about being as good as Barabbas, it's not about being as good as Dave Bremner or Graham Adams, it's not about being as good as anyone else in this room, it's about being as good as Jesus. It's about being perfect because God is perfect and he can't look on anything less if we are not perfect then we fall short of the standard that God requires to have a relationship with him if we are not perfect then that union with God is out of our grasp to be in a family with God it is out of our grasp it just is not possible and God knew this. God knew this before the foundation of the world. He established his grace. He established his salvation plan before day one. The plan to bring us into his family. He set a price to deal with our imperfection. When we talk about sin, we're talking about our imperfection. He set a price to deal with our imperfection. That barrier that separates us from Him, He set a price. And He set it at death. That was the only way to deal with this price of, of, of imperfection. He set it at death. And then He sent His Son to pay the price so that we wouldn't have to. He sent His Son to settle the debt. So that we would not have to. He sent him to be a substitute on that day for Barabbas. So that he would go on the cross that was prepared for, the, for Barabbas. But he also sent Jesus to be a substitute for you and for me. To pay the price that we could never pay. To pay the price that was impossible for us to settle to pay the price for our imperfections and to bring us into union with God that's what's happening here that's the price that's being paid and praise God that no sin, no wrongdoing no imperfection that's represented by us in this room today has not been dealt with on the cross every single sin has been paid for There is no existing debt. There is nothing keeping us from God. Everything has been paid for. But this doesn't make Jesus your king. This doesn't make Jesus your king. This doesn't bring you into God's family. This doesn't bring you into this union. This doesn't bring you into the kingdom that you're learning about on Sunday evenings. It's not enough. You have to do something. Jesus will not claim lordship over your life. He will not come into your heart and demand that you make him king. You have to invite him. You have to invite him. The ball is in your court. You have to acknowledge the wrongdoing in your life. You have to be comfortable with the fact that you are a Barabbas that this grace and this mercy that's been, that's been afforded to you you don't deserve it you've not worked for it you couldn't it is a gift that we cannot recognize, that, that we cannot even recognize, we cannot even comprehend you have to acknowledge that wrongdoing in your life and say from now on I'm following the king from now on you are everything to me And we need to repent. Which means to turn around and stop making ourselves the kings. And turn around and say, No, Jesus is king. He's the one that I follow. He is everyone. He is everything. We have to repent. But repentance on its own is not enough. We need to have faith. And we need to put our faith in Jesus' work. We need to have faith that Jesus has dealt with our sin and our shame on the cross. That we do not have to worry about it anymore. We have to have faith that Jesus did not die on that cross but three days later rose from the dead. That he experienced new life and through this new life we too can be new creations. That he sits at God's right hand side and and he intervenes on our behalf. That he still has the power to save. We need to have our faith that he is the king if we have come to him in repentance and faith, then we can have that new life and we can have that union with God. Is Jesus your king this morning? Now, a a pastor uh, from America that I like to read is a guy called J.D. Greer. Um, If you've ever wanted to read Christian books but never quite got started, can I suggest you start with J.D. Greer? He presents the gospel and he presents complex things in in, in very simplistic and easy to understand ways. And he writes about this passage, It's easy for us to condemn the religious leaders for their heinous crimes. But for many of us, the only reason we haven't turned on Jesus is that we haven't yet chosen whether Jesus is Lord or we are. We hear messages about Jesus having absolute control over our lives and we shout, Amen. Far too many of us leave Jesus at church and run our own lives without letting him govern a single thought or action. In every heart there is a throne and a cross. If self is on the throne, then Jesus must be on the cross. If Jesus is on the throne, self must be on the cross. If you haven't yet chosen, one day you will. In every heart there is a throne and there is a cross. If Jesus is on the throne, then we are on the cross. If Jesus is king, then we are on the cross. But if we are king, if we trump Jesus if we think that our ways are better ways, if we follow our own desires and not Jesus' desires, then Jesus remains on the cross. My plea to you this morning is put Jesus on the throne. Put yourself on the cross. Say, from now on, my old ways are gone. That old life that I used to live, I am dead to that. I want new life. I want a better life. I want the life that I've been born for. The life that I've been made for. I want Christ as my king. Where is Jesus today for you? Is he still on the cross or is he on the throne? Have you given him that space in your heart? Have you called a stop to the old ways? And have you experienced his new life? Is the mystery still a mystery? Or are you getting that clearer glimpse of Christ in all his glory? Let me pray father we thank you for christ in all his glory father we thank you that he is king of kings father that he is lord of lords and we pray lord that that would be the experience of every single person in this room today that they have made christ their king father that they're enjoying being a citizen of his kingdom Father, that they know this great love that's been shown to them on the cross, Father. We pray, Lord, for those who are still just confounded by the mystery, still just can't grasp what is happening here, Father. Through your spirit, reveal this love to them, we pray. Father, through your spirit, convict and convince them of their sin and their imperfections, Father, and show them how good this new life is with Christ as their King. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would just do a supernatural work in the lives of each and every one of us here, Father. That you would just give us that clearer glimpse of who Christ is in all of his glory. Father, we thank you. We thank you that the opportunity is still here to claim Christ as King. Father, we pray, Lord, that we would make the most of the opportunity while we have it. We know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's where we're heading, Father. We pray, Lord, that on that day it won't be too late for the people in this room. That they will have already taken Christ as their saviour. That they will already have come into your family. Father, we pray, Lord, that they wouldn't recognise Christ as King before it's too late we pray Lord that you would just continue with us through your spirit, through the word that we've read and we pray this in Jesus name, Amen